Welcome to California Groundbreakers, which focuses on the place that starts trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done nationwide and around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. We've created a podcast series called This Changes Everything, which focuses on what California will look like in the post-pandemic future. We're talking with California groundbreakers about how they see the Golden State changing for the better or for the worse, or still to be determined, as we move out of shutdown. If you like what you hear, please help us continue by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support Us link on our SoundCloud podcast page, or on the Donate tab of our website, californiagroundbreakers.org. The pandemic has reshifted our priorities, particularly where we live and work. For many Californians, that location may be a very different one than the place we were living before the coronavirus came. And that's causing major changes in cities, suburbs, and small towns across the state. Join us as we talk about the future of these places with two urban planning and development experts who live in very different parts of California and are seeing dramatic changes in both. Alicia Jean-Baptiste is president of SPUR, a nonprofit think tank focused on regional planning and public safety in the San Francisco Bay Area. Shauna Purvines is the deputy director of the Community Development Resource Agency in Placer County. They'll tell us how the pandemic is changing the urban and rural regions they live and work in and what those changes mean for Californians overall. Hi everyone, my name is Vanessa Richardson. I'm Executive Director of California Groundbreakers and thank you for tuning in today. So there has been a lot of discussion about the future of cities in California and what they will be like after the pandemic ends. But I think that based on current trends of where people are moving out of and moving into and where the super hot real estate markets are right now, that discussion should also be about the future of counties in California, the future of suburbs and small towns and overall the future of community planning and development around the state. So I thought it would be interesting to bring together in conversation an urban planning expert from the San Francisco Bay Area, which is getting a lot of scrutiny about its future right now as a desirable place to live and work, and a planning and development pro from a less urban area where supposedly a lot of Bay Area people are moving into, and thus causing a super hot real estate market and maybe some super hot tempers in current residents who may not like all the changes they see happening around them. So I'd like to introduce my two guests who live in counties at opposite ends of the state from each other, at least on the eastern western axis, who can tell us what changes are happening right now in their regions and what those current changes mean for future housing, commercial and community development in their areas and potentially for the rest of California. So first, let me welcome Alicia John-Baptiste, who is president and CEO of the San Francisco Bay Area Planning and Urban Research Association, which is better known by its acronym SPUR. The organization has been around since 1910. So for the past 111 years, it has been working on finding solutions to major Bay Area challenges like inequality, housing, and transportation. So Alicia, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, Vanessa. And also, we have Shauna Purvines. She's Deputy Director at Placer County's Community Development Resource Agency. And Placer County stretches more or less 65 miles from the Sacramento border, starting with the town of Roseville, to the Nevada border and the shores of Lake Tahoe. And those two places I just mentioned, Roseville and Lake Tahoe, have seen some of the highest home price increases in California during the pandemic. So Shauna, welcome to you as well. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. So this question is for both of you. Uh, I wanted to ask, in the past 15 months since shutdown started and we've been going through the pandemic, what have been some changes, maybe pandemic-induced changes, in your region that you have seen, um, both as a professional in the field that you work at and as a resident in the place you live? Um, you know, what have you seen in terms of, obviously, real estate market changes? There's been a lot of attention about that. Notable closures of places in your area that have hit you as a resident. Um, levels of cars on the road. Um, maybe a switch of how uh, the people use community amenities. Just a, a couple of notable things that you have seen in the past 15 months. Who would like, I'm going to start with Alicia. Okay. Well, thanks again, Vanessa, for having me today. Um, I mean, so many changes, right, in the last 15 months. I think when we think about what happened with the very sudden shelter-in-place orders, where people all of a sudden were required to live in a different way, it gave many of us, and not everybody for sure, but it gave many of us an opportunity to reflect on how we had been living, what really constituted quality of life, and how we wanted to be living. And those reflections for some people resulted in understanding that in fact, they wanted to be closer to family, perhaps in a different state. For some people, it was a reflection, certainly for me, that there was a benefit to being at home with my school-aged children because I could be part of their lives in a way that I hadn't been when I was in more of the hustle and bustle of the, of the daily nine to five. In terms of what that has meant, behaviorally, we have obviously seen, you know, real drop off in commute patterns, seen huge impacts on the types of industry that really are dependent on the office worker. Uh, we had, I think, something like 85% of restaurants in uh, certain downtown neighborhoods in San Francisco shutting down over the course of the pandemic. Some of those may return, some of them will not really significant impacts to small businesses. A lot of this has been covered, I know. Um, but I think it gave us an understanding of how our, our ecosystem as a region is really interconnected um, and how various things impact the other. When I think about where we are headed, to me, this essential question of quality of life still holds the sort of center stage in that we, we will be making decisions based on whether we feel like we have quality of life in the place where we live and whether we feel like we have quality of life in terms of our community and our ability to find community and have the types of social interactions that are so important to us as human beings. So that's a lot of how I have been thinking about the future and what comes next is that question of when we started to ask what was working and what wasn't working because we were suddenly put into a completely different frame, what, what did we identify and how do we come to a point in the future where we have invested in the things that really grow our quality of life? And Shauna, same question for you as someone who is looking at Placer County and development there in such a large space, but also as a resident there, what are some notable things that you've seen in the past 15 months? Uh, well, you, you, Placer County, you know, pre-pandemic, um, some of the, you know, had some of the lowest unemployment rates. Um, we were one of the hottest housing markets, you know, in the in the state, possibly in the nation. Um, so, you know, as everything kind of came to that, that, you know, mid-March date where everybody kind of shut down and, 
And we all, just as everybody else did, wondered what was going to happen, right? You know, now what's going to be? Um, and it, it became evident fairly quickly that Placer County was that um, place where we were going to see a high increase of um, in-migration. Um, we were seeing people come, you know, from other areas, um, be it to be with family who maybe already lived in the area or just to take advantage of being able to do business um, and their jobs from home, just maybe a different home. So, you know, we definitely saw our um, fairly quickly actually um, started to see our real estate pick back up um, and we were seeing homes um, selling faster than we've ever seen them before, particularly in our Tahoe area. Um, and we were also starting to see a lot of people um, come for even day visits. And, you know, that definitely put a strain when your restaurants are closed your parks are closed, but people were still finding places to recreate and have fun. And we really definitely want to, you know, encourage that. We love our, our, our visitors. Um, it definitely, you know, did start to create some concerns by our residents, you know, the amount that was coming in. You know, since that time, um, you know, we are, you know, starting to get our kind of our arms wrapped around it as things are starting to slowly um, open back up. You know, we're, we're now addressing that, that high pace of growth. That's something that you know, particularly an, uh, an incorporated placer hadn't seen. Yes, Roseville has been one of the fastest growing cities, but the county itself was fairly quiet. And so now that we're experiencing this growth, um, it's definitely something that uh, um, we are still getting used to. But, you know, again, placer is a wonderful place and you know, we love our visitors and, and we um, are enjoying, you know, the rapid pace of growth that we are seeing. Um, and, you know, just look forward to, um, you know, continuing to see what this post-pandemic um, will be for Placer County. So leading into the next question on that, housing, everything is always tied to housing in California, isn't it? And so obviously, you know, as we just talked about, there's super hot real estate markets. And I was wondering for both of the, the areas, the Bay Area and Placer County, what the pandemic has done for the current housing market. So for like Alicia in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, it's always been a hot market. Um, maybe without migration, has that uh, changed the housing market in a different way uh, because of the pandemic? Um, uh, so yeah, let me ask you that first. Has it has the housing market been thrown in a different kind of top, top spin or frenzy because of people reevaluating quality of life and living in, in the Bay Area? I mean, I think the place to start when thinking about housing in the Bay Area is understanding that in the Bay Area, we underbuilt housing by 700,000 units over a span of about 20 years. So we have been desperately undersupplied, which of course is translated into extraordinary uh, affordability challenges for our region. When we look at the shifting in terms of who is living in the Bay Area, particularly over the past 15 months or so, there's been a lot of news coverage about a tech exodus and a Bay Area exodus and a California exodus. What the numbers actually demonstrate is that for most parts of the Bay Area, we actually have not seen that much out migration, that in fact, when people have been moving within the Bay Area, it's largely been within the nine counties. With the exception that San Francisco had about a 10% population loss over the first 10 months of the pandemic. 
in in some cases, those were people choosing to spend the pandemic period of time in a different place with the intention of returning. And in some cases, those are people who will not return. What those what that percentage split is, we don't yet know, of course. But in terms of housing prices and the the impact to the market, even in San Francisco, where rental rates dropped pretty dramatically over the course of the pandemic by as much as 25, even 30%, remembering, of course, that there was a period of time when rents in San Francisco were pretty astronomical, even a 25% to 30% drop doesn't bring you into the realm of affordability for a lot of people. And even with that change in the rental market, housing prices for ownership continue to climb. So what we saw was a, a relatively significant transition in rental units, but not so much on the ownership side. And certainly in other parts of the Bay, I don't think we've seen the, the type of drop that one might imagine given the coverage of the, of the exodus. Where we will go from here is I think an incredibly essential question, not just for the Bay Area, not just for Placer County, but for the state of California as a whole. California has had declining population in the past several years, in part, I think, because it has become such an incredibly difficult place to afford. And that is the most essential factor leading to our affordability challenges as a state is our lack of housing. We simply do not build housing at the scale that we need it. We did analysis looking out into the future for 50 years, asking ourselves the question in 2070, what kind of region do we wanna be living in and how do we get there? And our analysis suggests that we need to build over 2 million new units just in the nine counties of the Bay Area alone to just keep affordability rates where they are today. That wouldn't even bring them back down to, um, to where they were when we started stopped building at scale, which was roughly in the, in the 1980s. So I, I, can't, I can't emphasize enough the importance of California, the Bay Area, coming to grips with its reluctance to build housing. Um, and when we, you know, when we think about, as I was referencing earlier, quality of life and why we choose to live in one place or another, one of the things that is really challenging for us in the Bay Area right now is the scale of our unsheltered population, that we have 35,000 people, even before the pandemic, living on the street, unable to afford housing. It will continue to be really challenging for this region to attract new industry, new talent, when we can't house the people that we have here today. So. I, I've been encouraged by the continued conversation at the state level on solutions to our housing crisis, but we have got to see some action on this. And Shauna, in Placer County, obviously there's an influx of people coming in um, and with housing stock currently, and then, I don't know, in the works, can Placer County keep up? What, what's, um, what's the housing situation like for, for your county? And you know, keeping up with people who want to have a home there and be able to afford it. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, Alicia, right. I mean, market supply of housing has not kept pace with um, the demand for years now. And, you know, that was creeping up as a crisis um, and, and hit crisis level in, in many jurisdictions before the pandemic. 
um, the shifting around with the pandemic maybe highlighted it more or just identified some more needs um, in different areas. But, you know, it was there before. And we started at Placer County well before the pandemic, also looking, you know, out to the future and how we were going to meet our employers' needs and our housing needs as, as we grow. Um, and Placer started, you know, with the, the idea that our role as local government is to help set the conditions to allow the market to provide the housing. Um, but, you know, in many cases, you know, that, that still does need the help of the state. And some of those rules that, you know, and regulations that are coming from the state are heading in the right direction to help, you know, facilitate the, the development of housing. We, you know, Placer, I mean, with the, we just, we saw such an influx in, in particularly in the Tahoe area, which is probably the most difficult place to build. I mean, you get into the other, you know, what we call the Western side of Placer, it's, it's a little more open, a little more flatlands, a little easier to plan and develop housing um, and grow, you know, growing it right, I think is a big question. And, you know, we're wanting to make sure we make smart decisions as far as building the, the good communities. On the Eastern side, there's a lot more restrictions to development um, and it, it, it definitely constrains this conversation. Um, when we saw that the push come in, um, you know, over during COVID, we, we were seeing average home prices up in the Tahoe Basin in the mid 600s. Um, very quickly, we now have an average of 1.3 million up there. I mean, just in, you know, six, eight months time. Wow. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> in it, 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 literally no inventory. Um, anybody that was renting, um, and I should start with, you know, it's primarily a single family place. So although you, you know, we may have heard California laws talk about, you know, rental restrictions or, you know, some of those protections, um, it doesn't necessarily apply to single family. So Tahoe being primarily a single family area, albeit having a lot of renters, they didn't have, they weren't afforded those same protections. So we're seeing a number of people who are being, you know, print, the rents are going up to the point where they can no longer afford it um, or being asked to, you know, move out so that they can sell it because now they're getting double the price, you know, of what they could originally sell it for. Um, and so that that is probably our stickiest area right now is how do we solve that issue where we can't more easily build homes quickly and fastly as we can maybe on the west side. And yes, I was wondering about, you know, is is the pandemic making it easier in, in, in some way to build like more affordable housing? Our legislatures seeing this crazy market and doing something about it. Uh, um, although, again, I, I was been reading stories about how the cost of lumber has gone up, I guess, around the, the country, um, which is uh, my parents want to build a house and uh in Oregon, though, there there were those uh, couples moving out of California, but it just seems like there's, you know, there's some shift in what can be done and what can't be done because of cost. I was wondering about legislative action. Uh, I got my Sacramento Bee headline um, in the uh, email about, you know, what is the legislature going to do about uh, the housing situation? And Alicia, I had a question for you because you had referred to Spurs Bay Area 2070 plan. And I was reading uh, some some of the overview there and what you're tackling in the plan. Obviously, housing is one of them. And I saw some some proposals here that that sounded interesting. I, I was wondering if you could give us some detail and and. Um, where they stand, if these are things that are being discussed right now on a, on a state level, uh, like expanding home ownership opportunity for low and moderate income families, um, 
creating a real estate transfer tax that penalized the short-term flipping of houses. That looked interesting. And then another one about reforming construction defect laws defect laws. So builders will more and more the idea of building condos. So I guess in plain English, if you could describe a few things that Spur is uh, coming up with as possible solutions to this housing crunch. I mean, where we'll start is with a, maybe a little bit of a description of, of how housing gets built. So you have housing that is built, what we call market rate housing. That's housing that a private developer will construct because they can get the financing to build it and they can assume a particular rate of return, depending on your overall supply and the cost of construction and the cost of financing, you can calculate roughly what that housing will then cost to buy or to rent. And that typically serves a particular portion of the population. In our case, in California, because we underbuild housing, really people earning more at the, at the upper end of the scale. Then you have affordable housing, which is typically publicly subsidized, where you get funding from the government to build affordable housing, whether it's direct cash or in the form of tax credits. Um, there's federal support for that as well. And then you have a middle category because affordable housing is typically capped at, let's say 80% of area median income in terms of who qualifies to be able to, to live in that housing. Then you often have a middle category, which we call middle income housing, which is the difference between your, people who make too much for affordable housing, but make too little to afford what the market is supplying. And so when we put together our housing strategies as part of, as part of the work you were referencing, what we, what we wanted to dive into is what would it take for us to build the amount of housing we need for the region at scale at each of those three different income levels. And the solutions are different depending on what type of housing you're trying to build, but there is some commonality. And one of the things that is common across those three types is really tackling the cost of construction because it's such a major component that drives the price of housing. So the last thing that you referenced, Vanessa, about the um, statute of limitations. That's a one mechanism to try to bring the cost of construction down. In order to really um, influence the cost of construction, we will need a whole bunch of different strategies that start to constrain costs. And one of the things that we've become very interested in is this idea of modular housing or industrialized housing, where you actually build a unit offsite and you put it into place. It's sort of like a, you know, this is why it's called modular because it, it is what it sounds like. That is one way to really drive construction costs down. At the moment, the cost of building one unit of affordable housing is somewhere in the realm of 700 to $800,000 in the Bay Area. So you can imagine that for many people, that's not an affordable unit and it has to be subsidized through government intervention, through tax credits, et cetera. So the other thing that we'll need to do is find ways to get the financing in place for the affordable and the middle income um, types of, of products as well. And that frankly involves, for example, the affordable housing bond that the state is considering now. It involves public investment, some of which we can, we've seen in the governor's um, proposed budget that he just put out again this May revise. 
Um, but it also means looking at more creative ways to use tax credits and other means to essentially bring that entire cost package down so that the final product is something that is accessible to anybody living in this in this region. And Shauna, also, you know, for, um, jumping on what Alicia just said, uh, are there things that she just discussed that you're looking at also in Placer County? Uh, other things that you want the legislature to 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 put into place or talking to them about? I yeah, I mean, I uh, I couldn't agree. You know, getting the cost of construction down is is critical. Placer suffers a little bit from being almost too close to the Bay Area in some respect, um, particularly when it comes to our cost of, of construction versus the rents that we can charge. We're considered a tertiary market. So basically our lumber and our labor prices are roughly the same as the Bay Area in Sacramento, but our rents are far lower that we can command. So just bringing down that cost of construction and that lumber labor side of it um, is not going to still quite correct the market to a point where, you know, at least we can get to more of a missing middle type housing, you know, price, um, knowing that really the lower and very lower is going to be more of a subsidy type product anyways. Um, but even just trying to get it to where, you know, some level of the market can just build kind of that missing middle of those smaller type homes um, is going to be a, just a bigger jump for us. I think for, you know, the legislation, um, you know, things that we are uh, looking at here in Placer County is where we can incentivize those smaller units um, and, um, and figure out how to reduce those costs on the whole package, which would include fees um, and um, other, you know, requirements. And so, you know, any way that we can, you know, find ways to streamline that planning and environmental review process. Um, to ensure that those projects can move through more seamlessly and quickly um, so that we can get them you know, to market faster um, with a reduced cost is, is what we're looking for. So modular housing, absolutely. Those are things that we already you know, allow for and, and encourage and have built actually up in the Tahoe area. Um, but right now, you know, our focus in is uh, one on the cost of construction, the cost of labor and the cost of fees and uh, regulation requirements. Yes, I do remember before, even before, well, before the pandemic hit, there was a lot of discussion about uh, CEQA, C-E-Q-A, which is short for California Environmental Quality Act. And it seemed like that was kind of a four-letter word for, I guess, developers in some ways, because um, if I if I say it correctly, uh, CEQA is often what is used in lawsuits to block uh, development. Um, if, I don't know if it's just housing and commercial, but um, I feel like there's been talk about let's reform CEQA and not make it such a roadblock for things to take years and years and years to build needed housing. Uh, do you see, uh, either of you, do you see the pandemic changing the way that CEQA is viewed and may be reformed because the pandemic has made the housing market even more crazy or status quo on CEQA? Well, I, I mean, I, I'll just finishing up on what I was just talking with on that CEQA review. I, I mean, there's a purpose for CEQA, you know, and it's a, it's a, there's, there's a reason to ensure that, um, you know, that we are mitigating for those environmental impacts um, as part of a project. So, but there, there are ways where you can streamline it. You can, you know, work on things ahead that, um, and plan ahead and do that so that the actual developer, when they come through, can come through a, a little quicker. 
Um, and, and being more open land, you know, we're starting with very green field and green lands mostly in, in Placer County. So our review doesn't stop at CEQA. You know, it definitely can go into even federal requirements. Um, and, uh, you know, some of our, you know, waters and, and those um, impacts that our federal regulating agencies actually get involved with. Um, and it's, in some cases, it's just a matter of timing. They are so overwhelmed as well that you know, they, they can delay a project for months, if not years, simply because they don't have time to get to the review of the project. And those are places where we're trying to figure out, and Placer County actually did, we recently adopted what's called the Placer County Conservation Program. Um, and it already actually aligns all of those, about 17 different state and federal agencies to where we become that permitting agency. And so as long as the developer can meet these you know, certain items, then they can move forward without having to wait for any of the individual agencies. So we're actually trying to look at this from um, all levels and all angles on how we can actually reduce uh, the time it takes from an idea and a concept to actual construction. Hi, this is Caleb Clark, executive producer of California Groundbreakers Podcasts. We're working on more episodes of This Changes Everything, literally as I speak, but putting them together takes a fair amount of time and money. If you like what you're hearing in this episode and you want to hear more of them, you can help us in two ways. First, consider being a Groundbreaker supporter right now by making a podcast creation donation. Click on the Support California Groundbreakers box on the right-hand side of our podcast page on SoundCloud. That's at soundcloud.com slash Groundbreakers or click on the Donate tab of our homepage of our website at californiagroundbreakers.org. Thanks for lending us your ears and giving us your support as well. Now I want to ask about uh, downtowns and uh, hubs where people uh, go to work and, and play and shop. So obviously uh, uh, San Francisco and the downtowns and Bay Areas uh, probably been hit hard because of the whole working from home. Uh, people, again, thinking, do I want to live here? Do I, can I move? And that I'm assuming has a lot of effect on, on downtowns. So Alicia, I wanted to ask you about, about that, what you see the future of downtown uh, being uh, in your area, but also, uh, I guess, shopping malls and, and other community hubs. Um, Shauna, I know in Placer County in the, in the, in the Roseville, there's a, a a shopping mall retail that's a big a big uh detail a big deal and it also gets a lot of tax revenue but it just feels like this whole concept of what is shopping and how do we spend our time in our malls um going to make it um is that is that going to change the way that you look at a development and how community uses things? So the question for both of you, I'll start with Alicia, is like, what is the future of, you know, a downtown, a, a, the standard before times gathering spot that we had? How do you think we will gather and uh, spend our um, time in a specific part of a, a, a town uh, post-pandemic? To me, the what, part of what we learned in the pandemic is that we can work from home. That you know, many, many companies had sort of half-hearted remote work policies. Certainly government struggled with remote work prior to the pandemic. Even an organization like mine, which is incredibly flexible, um, you know, we didn't we didn't have a full-throated work from home policy. So we've discovered that we can. 
And I think we've also discovered that working entirely remotely, we do lose something. And I think one of the things that we saw so clearly over the course of the pandemic was the innate human desire to be in community. And in the early days, for many people, that experience was simply saying hi across the street to your neighbors as you walked around the neighborhood. But eventually we started to venture out into outdoor dining or congregating in the park or you know, other versions that felt safe at the time. And so when I think about where are we headed, I believe that we will have a return to office for precisely the reason that we are actually stronger and more cohesive when we can come together. I believe that we will return to downtowns, maybe not five days a week for, you know, for, the, for the majority of people, but that we will return to downtowns, but our return to downtowns is going to be in some part contingent on whether or not those downtowns are offering that social dynamism that has become so apparently important to us. So when we think about what's the future gathering spot, if you could imagine a dense urban center where you had restaurants and entertainment and arts and culture and pop-up retail and open spaces where people could come together, whether it was in protest or celebration, those are the types of places I believe people will want to go to both for their social purposes as well as to have their workday. Whether or not we are able to achieve that, I think is going to be a question of how quickly and flexibly we can adapt our existing spaces to the reality of hybrid work and to the reality of a changing retail landscape, which you referenced earlier. And certainly pre-pandemic, a place like Union Square in San Francisco was already experiencing um, some challenges with filling its retail space. So that, that is a trend that preceded the pandemic. It was hastened by the pandemic or amplified by the pandemic. But I do think as, you know, as we think about what the future holds, reimagining those retail spaces into places that support that social dynamism is going to be really important. And Shauna, what about in Placer County? Huh. Where we're heading, that's a question we keep asking ourselves almost daily um, in an effort to just try to wrap our hands around what, um, what are the highest and best use of our resources and our shopping centers and our downtowns. Um, and I, you know, I believe we've seen it. People do need to be together. People do need a destination point where they can go and um, converse with one another and eat and enjoy entertainment. And I, I, I see that still being a big demand. And I see some of our maybe struggling shopping centers and retail uh, cores in our downtowns um, converting. We're seeing it today. We saw it before the pandemic. We're seeing it um, now, today, picking back up um, and, and changing. We're seeing actually some of our commercial core areas change to housing, you know, gutting them and, and turning them into housing areas to complement what was more of an auto-centric um, commercial center. So we're seeing that drive. Uh, in addition to that, we're, we're seeing other areas like our lake. I mean, when, when things shut down, 
the lake didn't shut down. It was still there. There was still a big shore and lots and lots of people came for days and um, spent their days. But when the when when everything else was missing, when the when the shops were closed, when the restaurants were closed, um, it definitely kind of it, it turned the community upside down. We suddenly had you know a, an overwhelming trash issue, you know something we had not seen in the past, and you know just kind of having to address those um, actions. But you know I think our future holds um, still supporting you know lots of community opportunities to be neighbors and, and, you know, be a part of um, some type of a social aspect. And I think that's going to be different in all the different communities in our, our area. And, and our hope, my hope is that we can just continue to support that because it's, it's critical. I did have a question for you about uh, transit, transportation. We are doing a separate episode on the post-pandemic future of uh, transit and transportation roads. Uh, and this this might be a little too early to ask you about uh, Joe Biden's uh, or President Joe Biden's infrastructure plan because I know it's in the works. But I was wondering what your thoughts are about infrastructure and transportation. Um, and I guess what are thoughts about uh, cars on the roads and, you know, what rush hours will be like now going forward? Maybe they're already back. Um, but I, I, do you think that our thoughts about um, driving and using public transit um have changed during the pandemic? And what do you envision the, um, driving and using public transit uh, will be like, should be like uh, going forward in your respective areas? Alicia. I was trying to let Shauna go first. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, what will it be like? Well, what we've seen is an 80 to 90% drop off in, in utilization of public transit. And that is largely pandemic driven. In part, people weren't traveling around in the beginning days. And you know, in part, people have been nervous about being in an enclosed space with strangers. Um, but what that has resulted in is the Bay Area had crushing, just crushing commute and congestion patterns prior to the pandemic, where people spending four or five hours a day in their car trying to get to and from work, really significant quality of life impacts, not to mention the climate emissions that come with, with uh, all of that driving. We have a spatial pattern in the, in the Bay Area of having built our communities to be auto-centric to begin with. And so that is a challenge that we continue to face and we really will need to retrofit our transportation system or we are never going to meet our climate goals um, as well as our quality of life goals. But what we've seen post-pandemic is that our, our commute rates of driving alone have skyrocketed. So we have travel across the Bay Bridge now that is at levels that rival pre-pandemic despite the fact that so few people have actually returned to full-time being in the office. So for, for sustainability reasons and for quality of life reasons, we have to find a way for public transit to actually work for people. We, we've got to get out of driving alone in our cars. That will, I think, take a bit of time as more people become vaccinated, as there's more confidence in um, the efficacy of the vaccine and being together once again. There's sort of that reemergence concern that, that many people hold. But it also means we have to invest really differently in our infrastructure. As it stands today, many people in the Bay Area don't have great public transit choices. 
And if we want them to have great public transit choices, we actually have to invest in public transportation. And so that means building out our rail networks. It means converting lanes on the freeways so that they can be for express buses and for high occupancy vehicles. It means operating a transportation system that functions as one regional transportation system instead of as 27 disaggregated transit agencies. Um, it's pretty significant, the level of reform that's required. I think I have been hopeful as I've listened to the administration talk about their investment plans for infrastructure. I am skeptical that the full version of what President Biden had originally proposed is actually what we'll see. And frankly, if we wanted to have really significant reform, we would need to switch the formula on federal funding from being 80% for highways and 20% for transit to essentially the inverse. And that looks like it doesn't have a ton of political support to make that level of transformative change. But it's certainly better to have a president who cares about transportation infrastructure and is trying to make that happen. It will further our goals for sure. And I think this is relatively urgent because as we start to have more and more people returning to work, those commutes are, are going to be incredibly challenging very, very quickly. Yeah, and Shauna, there's fewer people per square mile in Placer County than the Bay Area. So it feels like there might be more focus on roads, but but still, like, do you need to, do you feel like you need to build more roads, wide more roads? Uh, are you going to emphasize public transit usage? What what are your thoughts on, on transit and transportation? Yeah. And uh, Placer County, I mean, we're a, we're a suburban rural county, you know, for the most part on the edge of, you know, the, the capital of the state of California. And, um, it, you know, our, in our infrastructure needs, um, we do, we will need some improvement to roads. And I, I think that'll be something that we'll need to pay attention to, but also, you know, our, many of our, um, our roads were built without the concept of things like bike lanes and, you know, sidewalks and those. And so I think we will, where we can do those connections um, uh, and it makes sense in, in more of our, you know, populated areas. Um, I think that's where we'll see the investment. We also, you know, are just going to need investment in um, water and sewer. I mean, many of our communities are, are very old and they're areas where we are anticipating growth. Um, and so, you know, their, their sewers are at capacity, you know, water is strained um, just in the delivery system, not the, not the amount so much, but the delivery system to, you know, to get it out. Um, and these are, those are things that I think we'll be looking at to support that growth that goes back to reducing the cost of the construction of housing is being able to have that infrastructure in place um, so that that, you know, reduces the requirements of the development that that is uh, coming in. As far as transit, there, you know, there is few, fewer people per square mile. We definitely have in some very localized areas, some robust, you know, transit options um, available. And of course we connect into the Sacramento region, um, you know, because we do have a number of people living here that, you know, work down there. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to, to see that, you know, grow as well. My last question for you both is um, a question about are there things that were considered moonshots before the pandemic when it comes to community uh, planning and development that are more feasible today? Uh, it just seems like the last episode we did on, on higher education where I think like many industries, especially higher education was forced to do things that they would have said two years prior, oh, we can't do it, but they had to do it. 
Uh, and so that just changed up a whole bunch of um, uh, structures and thought processes about what can be done. So in terms of uh, urban planning and, and development, are there things now that the pandemic has changed the thought process? And well, we why can't we do it? Uh, we can do it. Like just talking about this, you know, trillion dollar infrastructure plan that the Biden administration has. It just seems like that's something that maybe would not have gotten this far before the pandemic, but we're now talking about it. So here in California, what do you think has turned from uh, a moonshot to we might be able to get it done. And Shauna, I'll start with you this time. And Alicia, you can have the last word. Um, you know, the, uh, I mean, probably the moonshot, I, I work for the government, right? I work for county government. I can honestly say there was never, you know, a real thought that the majority of our employees would be working from home and working from home very successfully, might I say. Um, you know, we, we continue to grow, we continue to hire, and we all did it from our living rooms or offices or whatever from our homes versus our typical offices. So, you know, I, I can honestly say just from, from more of the government perspective, um, you know, that the, the expectation that there's going to be more flexible work schedules and, and people are going to work differently um, is um, now a norm. We've, you know, and we expect that norm not just in the government, but also, you know, our businesses and our employers um, throughout. So, just adjusting for that, you know, I think is is going to be um, interesting. And then, you know, again, Placer County is a single family kind of place, and I think, you know, talking multifamily, talking high density multifamily, um, you know, definitely was not something that, you know. We did often, and now it's it's more at the top of the conversation um, because you know we are needing to um, one you know maximize the the infill and the infrastructure areas that we have our communities. We want to grow our communities, and I think people are wanting to um, live differently, and you know we're seeing that. And so you know things like uh, missing middle housing and duplexes and fourplexes and tenplexes are much more a common conversation than we were having before. And Alicia, what about you? What what has turned from a moonshot into a possibility in your in your thoughts? I wouldn't I wouldn't ascribe this so much to the pandemic as I would to the sort of mass awakening on racial injustice that that resulted from George Floyd's murder. But I think the conversation has shifted really dramatically in the Bay Area relative to systemic racism and understanding that the way that we have built our region is a reflection of the systemic racism that has been in place in land use policy for generations. And so our lack of willingness as a region to rethink how we live, how we grow, who gets to live where, I believe that we're recognizing that by being unwilling to change, we are holding in place the the racist policies that have been put in place for again for generations and so that shift in mindset has actually opened up and i think continues to open up a conversation about what needs to change and how do we do it and my hope is that you know building on shauna's point of we're finally talking about duplexes my hope is that this actually translates into a shift in attitude from, I don't want anything to change to, 
I really see that things need to change. Let's figure out how to make it in, you know, happen in a way that supports quality of life and supports our communities. Well, as someone who lives next door to Placer County and who visits San Francisco, actually, I feel like I'm equidistant between uh, your two areas. I look forward to seeing what uh, what changes happen um, in Placer and in the Bay Area. And thank you both, Shauna and Alicia, for coming on to talk to us about you know what the future may look like uh, in urban, rural, suburban, and in between California. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Vanessa. Thank you. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers, This Changes Everything, episode 12, which was recorded on June 8, 2021. Thanks to Alicia Jean-Baptiste of SPUR in San Francisco and Shauna Purvines of the Community Development Resource Agency in Placer County for talking with us. Thanks to Nate Graham and Caleb Clark for recording and producing this podcast. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you find our podcasts worth listening to in these topsy-turvy times, please make a donation and support our efforts to produce informative and inspiring conversations about what Californians should expect in the post-pandemic future. You can do that, as well as keep tabs on upcoming podcast episodes, events, and other information about us by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.